All right, we are live. It's the 176th episode of the Mina's House podcast. I'm Mina, say what? Garnet Briscoe. Jack Stuckey. All right, guys. Well, we're excited. We have guests today, as we do every other podcast. Our guest today is from a movie that's been on Netflix. It's called The Concrete Cowboy. Um, It's basically about, like, the urban black cowboy. A lot of times we think about cowboys and we think about that typical, stereotypical, the white guy with the hat you know, listening to the, 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 you know, country music, but um, black people and black culture was very much a part of the cowboy experience. And they actually invented the cowboy experience. So that story hasn't really been told much. So this movie, uh, The Concrete Cowboy is telling that story. And today we're going to talk to some people that were actually a part of one of the, the first stables that the movie is based on. And they're from Philly. So they'll be joining us in a bit. Um, Before we get to that, let's hop into right what's in our feed. Uh, The Grammys. This is very surprising to me. The Grammys have announced that they're getting rid of the secret committees that The Weeknd was complaining about. The committees that nominate the people um, for the Grammys. And then, you know, we spoke to two members from the Grammy board and we know how it works. Once people are nominated, then the whole the whole Grammys gets to vote on whoever's nominated. But before that, there's a selection committee that selects the people that they get to vote on. So that is now being done away with ever since the weekend complained about these secret committees. Does that reinstate our um, our belief in the Grammy system here? Uh, now, nah, because apparently the weekend is still going to boycott them. They didn't do anything for him at all. So we probably shouldn't do anything for us. Look, my, my boy, he couldn't get his Grammy nomination, but he definitely got this taken care of. So like glass half full for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Grammys have suffered such um kind of like already in our com- in our culture and our communities has suffered kind of like a, a, a situation where we don't believe them anymore. Right. I mean, they've gotten it wrong a lot of the times and um, it, it kind of seems like it doesn't really matter what they do at this point. They're not going to really regain our trust. But I think this is a step in the right direction. Right. Like we complained for years about Oscars so white. And look, they had the blackest Oscars <laughs> ever this year. So <laughs> so like something is happening. Yeah. And and with that being said, if you think about the Billboard Awards, everything we complained about with the Grammys, the bill or other people complained about with the Grammys, like The Weeknd and Justin Bieber. Billboard is like, look, we we put Justin Bieber in the R&B category. We're going to give him this award in the R&B category. The only issue I have with the Billboard, though, is how y'all not giving Chloe, Chloe and Hallie their flowers yet? I don't like that. Yeah, I I agree with that. They're they're super fire. But I think we have to distinguish that the Grammys and the Billboard Awards are very different. Right. The Billboard Awards are about charting and hits and Mm -hmm. who's being played on the radio. Obviously, the weekend is all over that list. But then the Grammys, as you know, Helen and Deanna explained to us from the Grammy board in Philly, is more about musicality Mm -hmm. and instrumentation and songwriting and more of like the musical artsy element of it. So we can't really get those two confused, you know? Sure, I agree. I, I feel like since, you know, everybody is just like giving in, maybe we should ask for like more important stuff. <laughs> <I'm asking. laughs> right. Look, ask, can we get a podcast group for the Grammys? Like, can the Mina House, Mina's, Mina's House podcast <laughs> the Grammys? That, that's What's what up? we need. We need All the I- too. 
All I'm saying is if we're asking these organizations to change up their processes to be more inclusive, then we have to be willing to give as well. You know, for the for the weekend to complain about these secret nominating committees. And then he's like, oh, well, you got rid of them. I'm still not going to submit my music. Like, come on, bro. Grow up. (laughs) You got to act tough for somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Like, grow up. Clearly, this meant a lot to you. And a lot of times, um, you know, we like to brush off the Grammys, but there there's it's a symbol of the top of your game in music you know we talk about egots you know people who have won emmys grammys oscars tonys this is a staple in in the artistic community so it's like i know sometimes we like to brush it off because in the past they have not really been inclusive and they have not gotten our genres right but we can't ask people to change up and then when they do we're like well we're still not going to be involved right i agree All right. Moving on. Oh, Lord. Um, I just want to remind people that this feature in your feed is about things that people are talking about on the Internet. So it literally varies from like social justice issues to like messiness with like Tristan Thompson again, once again, being accused of cheating on Khloe Kardashian, another Instagram model. The chick went on a podcast that she flat out asked him, are you in a relationship? And he said, no. And then when she found out he was in a relationship, she cut him off. If you're Khloe Kardashian, what what do you do at this point? Same thing you've been doing, not care. Pretend <laughs> like you care and not care. I mean, like, this is not new. We we knew this was going on. Khloe knows that he's cheating on her. Like, why are we pretending like this is not a thing? You're the second man to say that today. So we really think that Khloe and Tristan have an agreement where he can go and be with other women. I, Chloe doesn't strike me as that kind of person. Uh, yeah, she does strike me as that kind of person. <laughs> Same person who told people to scrub the internet <laughs> from some mess that was put up, whatever. She, she's this, she's that girl. Like that's Chloe Kardashian. She's, she's not with Tristan because they have a baby together, whatever. It's an appearance thing for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm confused why she's still there. Like this shouldn't even be a thing in her life. Still, she's rich. She's fabulous. She's photoshopping stuff on the internet. Like you don't have to deal with this, baby. You you don't. You don't have to deal with Tristan. Uh, so yeah, I, I I'm not baffled at all. I mean, he's staying pretty consistent. You know, this whole time he's showing who he is. He's been doing this so. You know, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that she froze her eggs with his sperm, with his sperm. So I think there's something underneath that we're not seeing. And I'm you know, I haven't talked about this, but me going in my personal life, I'm thinking about freezing my eggs at this point in my life. And I'm going through the process of learning what a follicle is, what an egg is, what an embryo is. So when you freeze your eggs, you have the opportunity to just freeze your eggs without the sperm. And then you can obviously use whatever sperm you want at that point, or you can freeze the egg with the sperm together, which is already a baby. It's an embryo. So it's like a frozen baby. So she's done that with him. I believe all of her eggs are with his sperm. Yeah, but like that, they don't care about that. The Kardashians are really, and I've heard them say this on the show, they're more focused on making sure all their kids have the same dad because, you know, their mom made that mistake and that's not her situation. That was kind of shady. That was shady. That was, was so shady, shady Dexter. <laughs> you better hope all your kids are by the same woman, Dexter. <laughs> but they've said that they want all their kids by the same person or whatever. And that's why Courtney, the oldest sister, 
has had a terrible relationship with Scott and had a baby with him and split with him. It was either five days or five months after the baby was born. Like they don't care who they're having the kids by. They just want it to be all by the same person. That's why Kim kept having kids with Kanye, even though we're like, is everything all right over there? Right. Mm. Yeah, that's a... Uh... You you know you you got the whole information on to keep you up. do I'm keeping up with the Kardashians <laughs> the whole scoop you know Yo, how move and think you hear me? <laughs> I didn't even think about that though but I do know as a woman first of all you know she made that choice for whatever reason maybe she thought she was gonna be with him forever but that could be you know to your point Garnett why is she still there that could be a reason why like I have all these frozen babies with this man. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> Inseminate this baby into me and I'm carrying his child and he don't even he's we're not even together. Like that is insane to, for me to think of me carrying a baby by someone that we're not even together. And I chose it. It's not like a mistake. <laughs> like I'm inseminating this embryo into my uterus so I can have his baby. Oh. So that might be a part of it. She envisioned this whole life with this man to the point where she froze her egg and her, his sperm together. And now he's like cheating left and right. It's like, what am I going to do with these babies? Most women will probably be like, we're going to have to freeze some more eggs. Her, she'll be like, put them in me. <laughs> well, listen, listen. I, I want a boy. Put it in me. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Real quickly before our guests join us, I want to talk about this. I don't really want to talk about it, but it was so like a hot topic on social media that we need to talk about it because that's the point of this feature. So this uh, Chris Brown and Tory Lane's joint album, um, obviously they have both had issues with uh, domestic violence and assault uh, with women. Chris Brown's was more so when he was a child and obviously he got a charge for that. You know, um, Tory Lane's is kind of going through the process of his assault with Megan the Stallion. I'm just so disappointed in Chris with teaming up with Tory Lanez. Um, and I know people are going to be like, well, he hasn't been found guilty. Like, why would you, you know, make the, make a decision or not do something with someone because of what they're being accused of. But like Chris Brown having the background that he has. And I feel like people, some people have gotten over his, his wrongdoings when it comes to that in the past. For him to go and then collaborate with someone that's literally going through that right now, I just don't think that that was the smartest idea. I actually think that's his calling card now. I think uh, it, it may, it seems as if he's going to try to help Tory Lanez out. Maybe it's through music, hanging with him, because he has this experience. Like you said, he went through this for years. Like if anybody knows how to deal with the media or how not to deal with the media or certain obstacles you're going to have to get through in order to keep your career afloat, you know, he is the one. So, I mean, maybe if they built that relationship like that, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Uh, it's definitely going to ruffle some feathers. Um, yeah, they calling this a domestic violence album of the year. I was like, what? they didn't say that. The yes. Internet said that. <laughs> yes, the Internet said that. <laughs> I was going to say those two didn't say that. Who is like the domestic violence <laughs> album of the year? This is ridiculous. I don't know why Chris Brown would do this. I don't get it. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't know why Tory Lanez would do this, to be honest with you. I think Tory Lanez is in a very bad position right now in, in regards to his public image. And I think linking up with someone like Chris Brown, who assaulted like a woman in general, but like a huge pop star, for you to be going through this stuff right now, and then you would link up with someone who's kind of synonymous for that, 
it's a little weird to me. It's actually like stupid. Like it's almost like Tory Lanez and Chris Brown both are the two people that like they want to commit career suicide. Like they want to do it. I swear Chris Brown for years has been like, I want to be canceled. Please cancel me. And he keeps doing these things to try to get canceled, but we just won't do it to him. We need to cancel Chris Brown, to be honest with you. His music is great. But listen, why, why, why wouldn't you want to do an album with Chris Brown just on like an artistic level? Like everybody call him the like the Michael Jackson of this generation. Why uh, wouldn't you uh, want to be have an album with Chris Brown? Because publicly you are still being scrutinized for shooting, shooting a woman. I would probably not want to be in the same picture building country as Chris Brown. See, I see it as the opposite. I see it as Chris Brown has been so removed from this. This happened years ago. And this happened when he was a kid. Tory well, Lanez is a grown. He was 22. Like he wasn't a kid. I mean, in comparison to what he knows now, you know, I just feel like Tory's a lot older than him and should be like more mature than a 22 year old man in this high power relationship with Rihanna. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the maturity level in general was just different for Chris Brown. I'm not making excuses for him, but the way that I see it is this happened when he was like a young man, you know, growing into adolescence. He, he's an adult, but it really he got into the industry when he was 15. So there's a lot of things going on there in general. He's so removed from this. This is over 10 years ago for you to go and collaborate with the man that is going through this right now in his adult age in his 30s. Like kind of goes back to what Garnett said. Chris Brown may be feeling like this is the best way to help him get through this. Yeah. That's why for Tori, I'm just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, how did you, how does this make sense to you? Right. It's but, Chris Brown. His records is going to be everywhere because it's Chris Brown. Like, it, it's, it's going to help his career no matter what, just because of who it's associated with. Go ahead, Mina. Right. Our guests are here. I'm going to let them in now. So as I mentioned before, um, so backstory is I started to learn how to ride horses last year before the pandemic. And I'm, you know, I'm in South Jersey. Oh. I'm in, in the Philadelphia area. So when I started to learn how to ride horses, I was like, there's a whole culture of horse riding in Philly that I had no idea about. And I'm not talking about like the. I'm talking about North Philadelphia, West Philadelphia. There are stables there. There's a whole culture of horse riding and cowboys that I had no idea about. Some people that are even in Philly don't even know that there's stables in Philadelphia. So when I started uh, learning how to see Dex didn't know there were stables in Philadelphia. <laughs> so when I started to learn how to ride, um, I started to learn about this subculture that's here in Philly that dates back to the 1990s. Right. So then uh, Concrete Cowboy gets released on Netflix. And I'm I literally the way this interview happened was so funny. I'm watching it and then I'm like, wait a minute. This is based off stables in Philly. So then I'm going down the rabbit hole of this woman, the woman where I was learning how to ride her stables. Um, she was telling me that she knows Aaron Brown, who is joining us today, who is um, a part of the original Fletcher Street stables, which is the stables that the movie is based on. And that's how we are here. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to welcome everyone to uh, the Mina's House podcast. Uh, we have Aaron Brown joining us. Hey, Aaron. What's going on, y'all? My name hey, is Garnett Briscoe. 
Ducky, nice to meet you guys. <laughs> so Aaron, Aaron is known as the Concrete Cowgirl, and she's actually the director of the Philadelphia Urban Writing Academy. She started writing on uh, Flesher Street stables back in the 1990s, you said, Aaron? Right. Uh, she she's managed some of the stables in that area for over 10 years. We also have Al Lynch joining us. Hey, Al. Hey, y'all. So Al is a bona fide original OG cowboy. We have a cowboy joining us, obviously uh, originator from the Fletcher Street stables. You were also featured in the movie. So we have all these big actors in the movie, right? Idris Elba. We have uh, Lorraine Toussaint. They don't know how to ride horses, but they filmed a movie about riding horses. So obviously they had to get extras and people that actually knew what they were doing. And then Ivana Mercedes is joining us looking so beautiful today. Uh, She's actually in the movie. She is one of the stars of the movie. She plays Isha. And she also uh, grew up riding on Fletcher Street right in North Philadelphia. Strawberry Mansion, the heart of Philly. So welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm really excited to talk to you guys because I'm wondering, you know, you guys are involved in this very rich cowboy culture tradition here in Philadelphia. How does that now translate to the movie? Like, how did that work out? How it translates to the movie, it just shows you, like, basically our culture, what the men were like, the purpose of us being there, how we um, raised the kids, the adversity that they went through, mothers that didn't know what to do with their kids at that time when they had problems, um, how the politicians played, animal control played in it, the news media. Um, it just gave you an insight on what had been going on, not just in my life, but in many other guys that have horses in the inner city's lives, and how we had to live under the Iron Curtain. And now we finally get to tell our story with those great actors that was in that movie that really portrayed and took the time to talk to us individually and work along with us and show us how to do things in order to get our story out. So for people who haven't watched the movie, the movie is basically about these stables in North Philly. And they kind of act as like um, like a central point for the community to come together. Right. Adults, children, you know, adults are teaching children not only life skills, but how to raise the horses and care for the horses. And this is a community that the stable uh, is providing in the heart of Philadelphia. But with this community comes people saying, well, y'all got these horses there and who's taking care of the horses. And, you know, you have people saying how you got horses in the middle of North Philadelphia. You know, um, the commute, some community members that aren't a fan of the horses, you know, horses. I don't know if you ever been around horses, but sometimes they're stinky. There's a lot of maintenance that goes on with them. Sometimes when you ride in, they loud, you know, so um, all of that happens in the movies and you get to see some of the struggles that people who have stables go through, especially when they're in a, in a, in a very congested area. Well, when, when you live, when, when you've done like I've done, I actually was born to this horse life. You know, I was born in front of the barn in the car, on the coat next to Teddy Pinnacrass's house. Really? <laughs> yeah. She wanted to go feed a horse, you know. And um, so I was actually born to this life. So in the community that I grew up in, for the neighbors in my area, they've always, you know, they knew what it entailed, okay? 
this area was like rich, you know, culture-wise. It was a Jewish neighborhood, but it was an industrial neighborhood. So Tasty Cake ran his horse and wagons out of Fletcher Street. Wow. This was a means of life for them, a way of living. You know, um, as you've seen in the movie, we have a guy in there named Charlie, and he remember when the city started buying trucks to do picking up trash and garbage and stuff like that, no longer using horse and wagon for garbage, you know, um, disposal. So for me and my community, as long as we had it there, you know, everyone knew that their kids were safe. You come home smelling like horse manure. Your parents knew that you were not out there trying to steal cars, that you did not break Miss Wilson's window. My <laughs> son wasn't in it. He smells like horse. I know where he's been at all day, you know. And all of us kids didn't get along. You know, everybody wasn't compatible. None of us, some of us were going to be basketball, some of us going to be track stars, some of us going to be musicians. But for those kids that was lost, this was always an outlet for them because we opened our arms. That's what Fletcher Street did. It's like a big um, foster home shelter type thing. For the you know? community. You know, and if if you lost a parent or if your grandparents was rare, and they really didn't know what to do with these kids, you could just simply walk around the corner to the stable and find a whole community, a whole family within itself. I like that. You now, know? Not to not to alienate the podcast listeners, but for YouTube, you guys are watching YouTube, you guys see the background. There's a lot of trophies there and some of the trophies actually have horses on them. What are the trophies for? And like, how far can you get into this, like this lifestyle? OK, um, the trophies are trophies that I've won throughout the years. Uh-huh. Or what we call a Jim Connor barrel. And Aaron has um, some for Hunter under seat and jumping. These kids, these trophies were all based um, on a group called the Strawberry Mansion Equestrian Center. And what we did was we took a host of kids that we got from the school right down the street. I was tied in close to the principal of the school. So I would go and find kids that weren't accelerating, you know, mm-hmm. that was disciplinary, had disciplinary problems. I turned them kids, well, I didn't turn them into the horses, turned them kids into straight A students. And they went on and left me for football and basketball and stuff. But, and girls, of course, you know. But these trophies was, this, these are years of me taking these kids out to these horse shows. So we've been way over 20 years and just the kids alone before anyone else came along. You know, there was only one woman that was ahead of us. And that's Leslie Heinen. And she was from, um, she's from. Come on, y'all help me out. That's that's Leslie is who's who I go to I go to her stable to learn how to ride. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie told me, right. And, 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 <laughs> hey, and thank you, y'all. Right. So Leslie, <laughs> Leslie's actually uh, part of the Apollo. And what she did was she more or less kind of like showed me quietly how to put these kids together, how to uh, format your program and make sure that you're productive. So I always thank Leslie for that. No one knows if she's still a great friend of mine. But um, and Leslie helped me along. Me, Wayne Harris, and Sharon Wilkins helped us along with that. So we took the kids showing all throughout Pennsylvania and won all kinds of titles here in Pennsylvania all throughout the '90s. Uh, Ivana, I want to talk to you because you were in the actual movie. Um, you were you were in a starring role next to Idris Elba. The, I, I believe this is your first movie, right? It a breakout, is. a breakout, your breakout. 
is my first movie. First of many, I am going to continue. Um, <laughs> but, you know, oh, it was just awesome. And, like, for it to be this story that got to be my breakout role is always going to be something so special to me because, like Al, I have spent my entire life around horses. Like, literally, from birth, <laughs> they got a picture of me on a horse at six months old because my great-uncle was a part of Fletcher Street when Al and his sister were younger. So my bloodline goes back to Fletcher Street longer than I even knew until this movie came out. Like, well, literally sir, yeah. talking to Speedy, and she's like, oh my God, what do you mean that's your great uncle? Like, we're talking about it. She's like, he told, he put me on a horse for the first time. Like, what? <laughs> and so, you know, this is not just a, a cultural thing for me. This is family thing for me. This is, I'm a country girl through and through in my heart, even though I live in the city. This is what we do. My uncle has a farm. He takes care of his horses. Like my mom has goats. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so you're 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 acting next to Idris Elba. Like, how, what what did you learn from him? You know what? I learned so much from all of them. Actually, Idris, Lorraine, Caleb. You know, Meth. They were amazingly supportive, and their character development was just on point. Like they they took this story and they embraced it. They loved it. The people. The message. It wasn't just a job for them. It wasn't just, you know, we're getting paid to read this script. It was, we believe in this story and we want people to hear it. And they spent the time necessary to make sure that they portrayed everyone and, you know, our community to the best of their abilities. And that is, you know, as an actor, what I took most from them is that dedication and, you know, everything that you go to, no matter what it is, you want to bring authenticity to the role so that you can properly you know, represent the people that you're trying to represent. Mm-hmm. Listen, I watched that movie twice, right? <laughs> I, I still can't wrap my head around how the hell Method Man was moving that fast. Is he really that fast? <laughs> oh my God, yes! No, Man. wait a minute. I have to speak on this part right here, right? <laughs> because from the door, me and, him, me and him started busting. We just, he was just, ended up being my boy, my cousin that I didn't like. From the door. <laughs> And this is how quick meth moved, okay? You seen meth run down that alley, right? <laughs> meth was tired after running that alley. Meth said, forget this. And meth left set. <laughs> Last I seen him, he had on a vest, a cowboy hat, <laughs> and his uniform that he was acting. They sent me to find meth because they wanted to shoot the shot over and over again. I found meth down 22nd and Somerset. Oh. Walking the street with a wife beater with regular people talking about he Al's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> he's going down. I mean, literally just walking down the street. He's not in his trailer anymore. He's like, go get him. We got one more shot. To do. Go get him. Let's do this again. He's like, man, I'm not running up and down that alley no more. No. <laughs> well, were you were you method stunt double? Because you look like him a little bit or he looks like you. Don't tell him that he's going to think he look good with his ass <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Um, my that was not my job. My job was more or less behind the scenes, making sure that everything was as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. So if um, Idris didn't feel comfortable with the way he was saying a part of a script, he would ask me or Mike, he would send for us and we would come back and set and we would explain it to him. Byron, I told Byron, you have to tell a story. It has to be factual, right. but it has to be crazy, kind of like Medea thing. And so the way I would tell a story, because you may have seen me sitting next to Byron, the comedian in the movie, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there feeding him like, nope, not goofy enough, not goofy enough. 
you know? So that's what I did behind the scenes. I don't know how I ended up in the actual movie because mm-hmm. I thought I was, I had been ducking and running from cameras for months. You know what I'm saying? And they finally got me in a couple of little scenes and people found the scene. But um, yeah. as far as Meth, Meth was like on his job, on his business. He, he was serious about his role. You know, he's like, hold on, I'm a cop in this movie. I can't be playing with this, you know? Right. So he was really serious about his part, you know? And Ivana, as a woman and a black woman at that, did you find any challenges getting into this industry? No, I mean, in general, I found that this particular role, everybody keeps saying was like made for me. Like, it just so happened that like, the, and which tends to happen in the industry, it's all about timing, it's all about what they're looking for. And you know, it just happened that I was what they were looking for, for this particular role. And so, you know, it's like one of those miracle God, you know, the universe has plans for me. And this is just, this is the path that I'm supposed to take. And this, this role was part of that path. And, you know, yeah, I wouldn't right. have it the other way. She is nothing like the role that she played. At all. <laughs> I would hope not. Girl, girl, you, you was bald in the movie. You kissed a young boy. I said, that's oh right. <laughs> and then Aaron, how about you? Cause you actually, like you are a concrete cow girl. Like how was it with you getting into the industry? Um, growing up, you know, I'll explain most of it. It was growing up and competing in the 90s. It was tough, um, you know, being the only black people at these events and out of town and different states. So it was pretty tough. Um, and But I know the importance of this urban setting with horses. And, you know, I know what was taught to me through Al and um, Wayne Harris and Sharon Wilkins and Leslie Heiner, that what it does for youth and and that's where here I am. I grabbed the torch from them and trying to keep it going on for, because if it weren't for Fletcher Street and horses, I have no idea where I would be today. Very modest, but Erin is a role model and a trailblazer, okay? Erin is one of the only black women that we have to look up to in this industry. She's very modest, but she is doing the thing. And she is what I personally, you know, as a kid growing up, she is one of the only women in the equine industry that I had to look up to. Her and, you know, her Aunt Tweety, and there's a few other black cowgirls like in the Bill Pickett circuit or whatever. Oh, no, y'all have to to mention Cheryl. You have to mention Cheryl. You haven't got a chance to mention Cheryl. Because she's one of the, like, she's one of specific but i mean she is just she's the living legend goodness that woman is fierceness but like as far as locally aaron was it for me like that that was it And that's what I, yeah. why I really wanted to have you guys on here, because I wanted people to know that there is black cowboy culture out here. It is in the city. Uh, Philadelphia was one of the the, you know, the foundation for this. And now when we think about well, I think the stereotypical image of the cowboy is the white man with the hat, you know, like th- th- I, I don't. Why is that? But that, that's not the case. I like to explain to you what a cowboy really is versus concrete cowboy. First of all, a concrete cowboy is somebody that dresses up, wear cowboys, hats, and boots. He's walking around here catching buses. Okay, he's getting on the bus. He ain't got no horse. Them boots ain't never been installed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a cowboy, concrete cowboy, really is. Okay, and in the inner city, 
we were never really considered cowboys because we can't have cows in the city. So we were considered horsemen. Mm. Now, when you go back to the original term of cowboy, what happens is I had a, a conversation with a fellow the other day. And he says to me, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a cowboy just like you. So after a glass of Crown Royal, I says to him, I'm going to have to tell you a little something. You will never be a cowboy. And so he looks at me and he's dipping. He's got some chewing tobacco in his mouth. He's like, well, why you say that, partner? I said, because for one, a cowboy was a man of color that worked with the cattle. Okay. A ranch hand was the white man that watched over him while he handled the cattle and the horses. So when you say cowboy, remember, it's always a man of color. I never knew that. Right. Yeah. So if you look back into your history, you know, they never gave us the title of a man, let alone ride a horse. Bill Pickett bulldogged that cow with his with his hands and his teeth. He didn't have a horse. You know, back then they ain't going to get no color, no horse. We out of there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks to Booker T from Rosewood, we out of here. You know what I'm saying? But you see what I'm saying? So when yeah. you say cowboy, it's not about the, the, the TV took it and ran with it, you know? And so you have Gene Archie, you have Roy Rogers, you have all of them that are considered cowboys. But the true terminology comes from, it derives from, you know, it's working for them. So, Aaron, I wanted to talk about because you consulted on the movie, right? Right. So uh, what was your role on set with making sure that the movie was authentic? Well, um, so taking it back, the producers or filmmakers met uh, Eric Miller, who was um, they met him in court and uh, they have this program where they help recently released prisoners to uh, apprentice apprenticeship. They offer apprenticeship in the film industry. So they met Eric and he said he bought a horse and yada, yada, yada. Um, Eric was killed. Well, they did, they got a lot of this uh, history and got to be involved with Fletcher Street through Eric Miller. Um, and Jamil Prattis is one of the guys you see that plays uh, Paris in the movie. Eric was killed a month before filming. Mm. Um, fast forward a little bit, they're like, okay, Aaron, so what do we do? I'm like, well, I'm not E, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, E just had his way, you know, as Al said, Fletcher Street is like a melting pot. So yep. E was from a stable on Ninth and Tioga, but he ended up on Fletcher Street. So he's the Fletcher Street family. So basically I pointed the filmmakers to whoever they needed to speak to, to get this part, this part, this is who you need to talk to to do this. And I remember driving them to Al's house. And I remember submitting Mercedes or Ivana's uh, audition tape. Oh! After like, Casting has, had closed and she sent it to me. She's somewhere on an island or something. And she's like, is it too late? I don't know, <laughs> one second. I forwarded it to the filmmakers and, you know, they. she flew back the next day and was in the office because they loved it. 
<laughs> what island were you on? I need to know where you where where was you at? I was only in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Where are we from? <laughs> she was having a hot girl yeah, summer. <laughs> out of jail, and Aaron called me, and she's like, "Um, okay, well, the director's not." satisfied with who they found so send me that video and I'm like what now and I'm like <laughs> she's like send me something and then so she like sent me some sides I basically did my audition in a clock Airbnb in Orlando loved it <laughs> wow. my first audition and then I had to do like after that in person but yeah my first uh, video submission was from a closet in an Airbnb while I was on vacation <laughs> and look what it turned into though look at God and so it was like so important to use like the actual community so um, for a film to be authentic, I know nothing about making movies. Like I saw, they sent me the script maybe a few months. I think Eric was still alive when I first got the script. I never read it. Um, they did this short film called Cage. I never watched it until Eric <laughs> got killed. And then I read the script and then I watched the cage. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is going to be big. And I knew the whole Fletcher Street community needed to be involved to make this work. And um, we made sure that everyone on Fletcher Street during that time was actually involved. Um, so everybody, everybody that was on Fletcher Street, that lived on Fletcher Street, that had horses on Fletcher Street, everybody was involved. Okay. And even like the local, like, you know, the local stables, they needed stunt devils. I'm like, who do I know? that can pull off Idris Elba. I'm like, huh, Kareem Rosser. He's a little skinny. Um, he might need to eat some, you know, biscuits and popcorn. <laughs> and, so. and, he's, and he's shorter than Idris. <laughs> but they made it yeah. work because there's like a photo and I'm looking like, well, who is that? Is that <laughs> Kareem? So, you know, we had to be like this. So you were like casting directors. You were casting who could help here, who could do this. So I was also a stunt rider for Lorraine Tucson and an yeah. extra. Y'all, y'all are basically like superstars now since the Netflix <laughs> movie dropped, right? <laughs> superstars at the bottom. Listen, listen. Y'all got Fletcher Street Stables popping. We hear about y'all right now. So like, how has things changed since the release of this movie uh, <laughs> with yourselves and within the community? We've been working with the city because you know, as Al was telling you, like the bullying from the city, you know, I was in 11th grade and he had me, I don't know if I skipped school that day, but they had me in city hall uh, talking about what horses and strawberry mansion equestrian center, which is the organization that was based out of Fletcher street, what it's done for me and other youth and the opportunities that it provided me and the assistance that it gave my mother who couldn't afford to do these things, you know? So we were promised uh, some land back in 2000. Here we are 21 years later, it never happened. So yeah. Philadelphia wow. Academy was established to, you know, go full force and preserve something that can't be taken away from us because it's ours at the end of the day. Can I just tell you guys like this interview has made, I, I swear I was so ignorant before this interview started, when I would go in North Philly or see on social media somebody in North Philly with a horse, I'm like, what the hell are they going to damn horse for? I would always be so <laughs> judgmental. And now I'm like, yo, they got stables out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said when, when I... You're in 
teenager and you don't drive, you drive, you take your horse everywhere. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> drive my horse to my house, to the corner store. <laughs> Look, you see us on the plaque in a minute. I ain't got no car. <laughs> I wash my horse, I'm going to the plaque. You know. <laughs> you, you know what, though? But that's why I wanted to do this interview, because I learned so much about the underground culture, you know, in Philadelphia when it comes to horseback, uh, not horseback riding, but horse riding. And then it's like I think the movie kind of busted it open and yeah. made it like a wor- like a worldwide kind of thing. And I'm like, I literally was thinking the same exact thing. And I'm sure there's people all over the country in the world who have no idea that the first cowboys were black and that there's even a, a yeah. urban black culture of women concrete women writers concrete men writers you know concrete cowgirls and concrete cowboys and all of that and, and it's important for us to know our background i'm going to blame most of like the elders that like like not the gen i can say the generation before me and before then okay because there was so much going on back then with the opening and closing of barns like for me, I spend my maybe first 30, 20 to 30 years um, doing what we call living behind the Iron Curtain. And so what that was, was when the guys would go off in the wintertime, being that I lived right, right back with the barn, mm-hmm. they would leave for the wintertime and go off to work or whatever, because nobody was really interested in the horse. Us kids would take care of these horses. Mm. So we were told if anybody comes in uniform or if anybody Caucasian pulls up, put the horses in, lock the barn up and leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we were taught to live behind the Iron Curtain. And thanks to uh, Wayne Harris, a guy named uh, Melvin Charles, a.k.a. Porkchop. Yes, um, Porkchop. <laughs> right. Benjamin Wright, a.k.a. Deke. Okay. Um, these guys, everybody, these guys weren't all educated. Some of them were, some of them weren't. And some of these guys couldn't read or whatever. So being that I was educated, you know, I have peers my age. So they kind of like passed to the torch and stuck me in the forefront and was like, well, you talk to him. <laughs> and so I ended up doing um, an interview with Wall Street Journal. And once I did the interview with Wall Street Journal, then the doors, the walls start falling down. And then there were documentaries. And then everybody started doing a documentary. Then everybody started saying they had a program, you know, and they would see them ride. And they'd be like, these kids really ride like this? They go to, they go fast. Yo, them kids, yo, them kids is good. I saw this little girl. She was like 10. She was getting it. And I'm like, damn, I can't even <laughs> jump yet. This little girl doing uh, all kinds of stunts and stuff. I, I, These kids know how to ride and they are young and it is amazing. Right. And they're right in Philadelphia. They're kids yeah, learning how Aaron, to ride horses. Aaron, Aaron was actually six. Aaron was my youngest at first. Wow. Then then Chappelle was right behind Aaron, which at the time was like 18 months, two years old, you know, riding. And so it just went from there until they just went to high school or whatever. But um, yeah, so once those guys had me break down some of the wall, then everybody was allowed to speak. And I don't, I hate to say this, but thank God for Aaron Miller going to jail. Because this was something that me, my generation and us guys, we've already always dreamt about. We're going to be in the movie. We're going to do a movie. 
you a movie star now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I get out to, to holler at my friends, you know. They got some of the elders there. I'm all excited. I bust up out the truck. They talk about, oh, Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> no, leave me alone with that. I come to Horse Fellowship, you know. See, and I was going to ask, how do I get lessons from you? But now you're Hollywood, so I can't get lessons from you. See, know? this is what they say. <laughs> you know, this is what, this is, I mean, you know, this is what they're still saying. Like, I can't get lessons from you now. You don't have time. I'm cleaning stalls every day. Please come get lessons. I'll give you keys to the poop train. And teach, you know what I'm saying? Please come get lessons. I need somebody to drive the poop train. No, so that, can't drive the poop train. That's how they do it. You got to put in work. And then they let you ride the horses, but you got to put in the work first. Right. You got to know what it is. You got to know why the horse should appreciate you riding it. And why are you appreciative for the horse allowing you to ride it? Well, so the people in Philadelphia, we are Philadelphia Urban Riding Academy, which is the outgrowth to the original Fletcher Street stable. So we are on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram, Philadelphia Urban Riding Academy. And... Our website is thepura.org. There you go. Because Mina was horseback riding and didn't even tell us. We didn't even know she was doing this stuff. We just found out. Yeah. Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate you so much, Al, Ivana, and Aaron. If you have not seen Concrete Cowboy on Netflix, watch it. Learn about. Well, now Al taught us cowboy is the wrong, the wrong it's not term. not the wrong word. Oh. It's great now. It's okay. great. Once, once, it hits the media, once, once it hits the media, we can't change it. We're cowboys now. Right. We are reclaiming the meaning of cowboys. Right. Thank, Thank you for watching the movie. I appreciate y'all. All right. Mina, you're really riding horses. You didn't tell us. Like, you're so selfish. You know that? It costs money to ride horses. What? <laughs> I wouldn't do it. To them, I'm gonna do it. Now. First of all, everything that you do, you don't tell me. So. <laughs> yes, no, but that's some, yes, but that do. was so cool though. Like, like I didn't, I didn't realize that it was such like a, a black thing. You know what I mean? I thought that wasn't for us. Yeah. That's well, you got to hill. You got to learn hill, the textbooks. They erased all of our history, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think that uh, we have to expose ourselves to more things as people, Absolutely. you know, and I started riding a horse because I was like, oh, that's cool. I've never done that. I don't know anybody who knows how to ride a horse. Let me go do it. So I think the more curious we are as people, the more we learn. And, yeah. you know, I posted hella pictures of me on the horse, Dex. You it's clearly funny. aren't it's, watching my social media. It's funny, too, because I actually, as soon as you said it and I started thinking about it, I was like, she definitely said that she was going to ride horses this weekend in a place in New Jersey. But I mean, I have to say, like, you, because I missed your birthday celebration and I heard that people were giving their accolades and I just want to give mine really quickly. I think you're one of the most innovative, important people that I've ever met in my life. I think the fact that we had a conversation, this podcast episode really sums it up. We literally talked about the Grammys and think about that. We complained about the Grammys. The very next week you had people from the Grammy Recording Academy on the show. Then you've introduced me to equestrian lifestyle. I think that nobody... I mean, a lot of people don't give themselves a lot of credit, but nobody is as humble as you are with the work that they put in and the influence that they have. Like you, you are amazing. You know that you really are. Oh, that's oh, thank you. Ooh, 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 ooh. 
That's only because you want me to hook you up with the people to learn how to ride a horse. Yeah, let me know. How to ride. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, but it's ex- it's expensive. Uh, I-, I didn't really want to get into it, but it's like $10,000 a month to keep a horse active. And it's it's expensive. And I feel like, you know, I'm an inner city girl. I grew up in the inner city. There's a lot of things that we don't do as inner city kids. We don't play golf because it's expensive. We normally don't know someone that has a horse because it's expensive to keep a a stable. It's expensive to keep a horse. So it's like because of our economics, we don't get exposed to so many different things. So it's like I, you know, I'm not a rich person, but I want to be exposed to as many things as I can. So I now I'm trying to get a little um, membership at the country club. I'm about to be over there playing golf. this is innovation right here. I love it. Ooh, no, no it's just it's just being curious. Like, oh, y'all over there doing something? Let me see what's going on over here. What y'all doing over here? Why you don't have no hot girl summer with that membership, girl? <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> Listen, I find myself an old white man that play golf all day. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, I literally I be driving by and I'm like, I don't see no people of color over there. I'm going to go over there. (laughs) You know, that's really like how I think like, oh, that's cool. Let me go over there and see what's going on. I learned about the horse riding and I just started doing it. It's hard to ride a horse. Yeah, I was I was uh, fortunate enough growing up. uh, One of my best friends that we 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 play football together. His family actually owned two horses. So like from time to time, we would go visit and like go ride. I, I fell off a horse one time. <laughs> I say that it, it, it was it wasn't bad. Like we wasn't going fast, but I did fall off the horse. But uh, yeah, they that, that leave your legs hurting and everything. But um, yeah, that, I also thought that was just like a really great experience. Now thinking back and, you know, you telling your uh, experience, just thinking back, it, it did show me a lot like. You normally you're not going to see horses unless it's on TV. That's I'm ashamed. It. I'm really ashamed. I grew up in Texas, and like we would go to rodeos. I've ridden horses before and stuff like that. But like I don't. I never retained that information. I feel crazy. <laughs> you need to get down to the Kentucky Derby. All right. You you seen they had a horse called Brianna Taylor in in one of the races. How we feel about that? Well, it was wait wait a minute. It was the lawyer. Her lawyer has stables so he named one of the horses brianna taylor so people can continue to have the conversation and say her name and her mother (laughs) was there her mother was there you don't like that yeah (laughs) it ain't working for me (laughs) well they said the horse is resilient and beautiful so they named it did she win the race? Yeah, the horse won. Okay, let's go, Brianna Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, all right, well, that's our cultural moment of the month. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for watching and listening to the Meanest House podcast. I mean to say what? Garnett Briscoe. Jack Stucky. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. And make sure you follow us at Meanest House Pod. And shout out to all our Pandora, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Amazon Music, Amazon Alexa. I mean, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. MySpace. We We everywhere. You ain't never there. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys for watching and listening. We'll talk to you next week.